0: Welcome to New Life, we're so glad you're here. If you're new, I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor. And before we get into the message, I want to say a couple of things. First thing is, I want to say thank you to all of you who have been praying for me. It's five weeks tomorrow, I had my right hip replaced. As you can tell, I'm doing pretty well. I'm taller, quarter inch, taller on the right side. Um, I actually stand a lot taller because I'm not like this all the time because I'm not in pain, any, really not very much pain at all. So thank you very much for your prayers and please keep them coming. I'm not 100% of the way. Thank you. Secondly, this is a very important weekend in America. It's Memorial Day weekend. And in Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day being tomorrow, it's a day that we remember the ultimate sacrifice that men and women have made. Literally in the 200-plus year history of the United States of America, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for a friend. Now, not all people who served in the military who laid down their life did it for friends. But many people who served in the military did it out of a love of God and of country and of others. And so today I think it's appropriate that we take a moment and give thanks to God for those who have made the sacrifice from which there's no return. You can't give more than your life. And so we know that Jesus giving his life was different in kind because he was perfect and he is the son of God. And his death on the cross paid the penalty for human sin. But all the deaths of all the people who have served in the military, who have given their lives, have done so, so that we can do what we're doing right now, be free to worship God as we see fit. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much. I thank you so much for all of the people who have served in the United States military, those who have served faithfully, those who are serving. But God, we especially remember in this weekend, those who gave the ultimate sacrifice a human can give their life. I pray, God, for a blessing upon their families that are remaining if it was recent. God, I pray for the legacy of those who have gone before us, that it would be one that we remember that freedom is not free and that justice is something that we all strive for because those are principles that you first shared with us in your word. And so, God, I thank you today for the people who have served faithfully and who have gone before us and who have who have given us the opportunities that we can all too easily take for granted. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are new, we're in the seventh week of a 21-week series. We don't usually have 21-week series here at New Life, but it's 21 weeks because it's called Mountain Monologues. It's about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. As I said, the seventh week of 21 weeks. And today's message I have titled, Retaliation. Now, dictionary.com tells us that retaliation is the act of retaliating, return of like for like, reprisal. So when someone hurts us, human nature is to hurt them back. When God gave the law of uh, of his people Israel to Moses, he limited retaliation because he he, he knows who we are, what we're like. He knows that retaliation is part of our nature. In fact, we have a saying here in America, it goes like this, I don't get mad, I get... Yeah, somebody at first starts went, even! <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a little bit too much there. But, but we do understand, don't we? we? I don't have to fill in the blank for you to know that when somebody hurts us, we wanna get even, but we don't really just wanna get even. We wanna get a little bit more than even. Where does that feeling come from? Well, we know in the Bible it comes originally, the first time it's expressed is in Genesis chapter 4. If you um, know the Bible at all, you probably know that Genesis is the first book of the Bible. The word Genesis means beginnings. And the first couple of chapters talk about the beginnings of all things. But then chapter 3 tells us about how even Adam rejected God's perfect life, perfect world, because they wanted to be in charge. That The Bible calls that sin. In just the next chapter, Genesis 4, we read about Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. Maybe you know the story. But Cain and Abel brought an offering to God. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's offering. And because of that, Cain was angry. We read about it in verse 3 to 5. It says this. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Notice that Cain brought some of his crops to the Lord. But what did Abel bring? The first and the best of his first fruits of the flock. And, and, you know, when the first lambs are born, you don't know if there's going to be another one. But he gave the first and best. And so God received it, not so much with Cain. And Cain got angry. And we read about an interaction between Cain and God immediately following. It says, this made Cain very angry that Abel's was accepted, his wasn't. He looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Sin has a way of multiplying. You know, it, 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 a little offense occurs to us, and we, we don't want to just return a little offense. We want to return a bigger offense and a bigger offense, and we see this especially in the life of Cain. I mean, all that happened was God accepted Abel's offering. And not Cain. So what would be the feeling? Jealousy probably, right? But he was angry. Angry enough that he killed his brother. Now I know the word overkill comes from the idea that we have enough weapons in the world to kill the world a whole bunch of times. But I think here's the first time overkill happens. I mean, why would you kill your brother because of this? Because that is the nature of fallen humanity. We have to get even. And so much more than even if we can. So when God established the law of Moses... He prohibited anyone from exacting greater revenge than what happened to you. We've all heard the saying, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Well, that comes from the law of Moses. God knew that we are prone to get retaliation, to get revenge. And so he limited retaliation and revenge. Now, as we turn to Matthew 5, 38 to 42, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we're going to find out what Jesus had to say about retaliation. If you've been here the past few weeks, you know that he's going to make it tougher than it was in the Old Testament. But let me give you a little hint with the take-home point for today. Again, if you're new, the take-home point is the one point we'll be making from the scriptures we're reading that we want to take home and live out in the week ahead. And here it is. Life, living life Jesus' way means radical selflessness. Living life Jesus' way means radical selflessness. You see, Jesus came to the world to restore the world to the way it was before Adam and Eve sinned. That was his goal. Now, the world hasn't become like it was before Adam and Eve sinned in the 2,000 years since Jesus was on the planet. But he showed us and taught us how to live lives of radical selflessness rather than retaliation. If you have your mountain mountain monologues guide and you're looking at it right now, you know that the take-home point there doesn't use the word selflessness. It uses the word forgiveness. Why is that? Well, it's because I put this mountain monologues guide together back in March. And I put this message together about three weeks ago. And three weeks ago, I realized it's not forgiveness we're talking about today. It's selflessness. We talk about forgiveness a lot, but selflessness is what we're really talking about here. So, before we go to Matthew chapter 5, 38 to 42, pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. That, that seems so, so short of what we really need to say. But thank you, thank you, thank you for sending your perfect son into the world to live a perfect life and to show us, teach us, model for us how that life looks when it's actually lived. And thank you for these instructions that he has given us. And we pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, we will be able to receive them and live them in the days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus said, you all have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I myself say to you, do not resist the evil person. But whoever shall strike you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. So if you've been with us for the past several installments of Mountain Monologues, you know that Jesus has been using a formula. The formula goes like this. You all have heard it was said blank, but I say to you, blank. And what he does is he quotes some old... Testament law about anger or lust or adultery or divorce or vows or now retaliation. And then he says, Oh, no, 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 that's too easy. I'm going to make it a lot harder for you to do. In fact, we can't live any of Jesus' actions that are offered in the Sermon on the Mount apart from the Holy Spirit's active presence in our lives. Today, his quote about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that isn't just found in one Old Testament book. It's found in Exodus 21-24. It's found in Leviticus 24-20. It's found in Deuteronomy 19:21, which shows us how seriously God took limiting retaliation. But Jesus takes it to a whole nother level. He offers us four examples of what it means not to retaliate. The first example we've already read. I'm going to ask Hudson to come up here and help me out here. We're going to show a little illustration of the turning the other cheek thing. All right? I don't want to make a big deal about this, but okay, Hudson, are you right-handed? Good. Okay, so Hudson's right-handed. Actually, that's not good. I'm left-handed, but it would be easier. Okay, but anyway, you're right-handed. And Jesus said, when somebody strikes you on the right cheek, this is my right cheek, and you're right-handed, unless you're a boxer, which I hope you're not, then you wouldn't be able to use your left hand to punch me where it would really hurt. You use your right hand. So you're trying to use your right hand to hit me on the right cheek. Okay, so what you're really going to do is go, yeah, you're going to slap me. Okay, thank you. You can go sit down. Give Hudson a big round of applause. Okay. So what Jesus is saying, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, which is an insult in Jesus' day and would be an insult in our day, give them your left. Let them punch you hard. And you're thinking, what? Jesus wants me to let him punch me hard? I mean, really, is that what Jesus really wants me to do? He wants me to let somebody attack me, somebody to offend me? Somebody, somebody to take advantage of me? Well, he does, yes. But remember, Jesus often resorted to hyperbole. Pastor Barry, a couple weeks ago when he was talking about lust, remember what he said? Jesus said, if, if, you know, if, if your eye causes you to lust, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> Pluck it out. If your hand causes you to lust, cut it off. If we took that seriously, there would be a lot of blind, handless people in the world, right? So we know Jesus wasn't exactly saying to do that, he was illustrating. And I know that Jesus was serious here, but I want you to hear this from Luke chapter 22, verses 36 to 38, because this is what Jesus said. But now, Jesus said, take your money in a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. So Jesus apparently thought there was a legitimate time for self-defense. I mean, a sword is a little more than a slap, right? So in the case that he's talking about right here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he is making a very important point. So many times when somebody offends us, slaps us on the face, we want to punch them. And he says, well, go ahead, let them do that to you, but that's not what you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is to de-escalate the situation. Often the de-escalation of a situation takes nothing more than being unwilling to escalate it. Somebody screams at you, and you talk back in a calm voice. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, and you pray for them. Huh, really? Really. Uh, That's the kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about here. You know, we want to make sure we never get wrong. We have rights here as Americans. And we do. But what Jesus is talking about is sometimes when you're wronged and willing to be wrong, you teach other people what is right. So look at what Jesus says next. And to the one who sues you to take your tunic, yield to him also your cloak. Now remember, these verses are referring to what? Retaliation. And so what Jesus is saying is not only is it physical, but we're talking about somebody sues you. And the tunic was the inner garment, cloak was the outer garment. So he says, if somebody wants to take your inner garment in a lawsuit, give them your outer garment, where does that leave you? Naked. All right. So again, Jesus is speaking a little bit, you know, hyperbolically. Okay, there's a word. That's a lot of syllables. I went to Princeton, you know, just kidding. Okay, so (laughs) anyway. I'm not kidding about that. I did go to Princeton, but I'm just kidding. That matters. Okay, so. When Jesus says this, we immediately as Americans probably think about the people who have sued restaurants for having hot coffee. I'm surprised they haven't sued restaurants for having cold coffee. But anyway, you know there was a guy in 2006 who sued Michael Jordan and Nike because he looked like Michael Jordan and people were always asking him for an autograph. He lost that lawsuit. But here's the best one I came across. There was a judge in in Washington, D.C., And he went to the dry cleaner to pick up his $800 pants that had been dry cleaned. And he said that they were the wrong pair of pants. So he sued the dry cleaner. And the dry cleaner was willing to settle for $12,000, which is 15 times the cost of the pair of pants. But the judge wasn't satisfied. He sued them for $67 million. Why? It was $1,500 a day for every day they had had a sign on their window that read same-day service. Now, not only did he lose his case, but he was an appointed judge. And when his appointment for reappointment came up, they didn't reappoint him again. I think that's poetic justice. But here's my point. Jesus calls us not to participate in such things. When he talked about giving someone who sued you for your tunic, your cloak as well, he was talking about not standing on our rights. Again, we have a lot of rights as Americans. We love our rights, and I love my rights. But what Jesus is saying here is, let's talk about our responsibilities first. And then we'll talk about our rights. In fact, look at the last two examples. What Jesus says is this. Whoever shall compel you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So if you've ever wondered where the saying, going the second mile comes from, it's right here from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And what was he talking about? He was talking about the Romans, the hated Roman occupiers who had a rule that they could walk up to you and say, you have to carry my pack. The soldiers could say, carry my pack for a mile. And what Jesus said is that if that happens to you, carry it too. What? And what's he talking about here, give to the one who asked? Well, what he's talking about there is, in that culture, there was no social security, there was no welfare, there was no none of that. And so what Jesus was saying is, if a beggar walks up to you and needs help, help him. So the one case, what he's saying is, when you're given an obligation, don't just meet the obligation, double meeting the obligation. And when you have the opportunity to help someone, help someone. Now, I believe that every listener who was sitting there or standing there on that mountain that day, listening to what Jesus was saying, took a deep breath and said, how? How in the world am I ever going to do this? And remember, we have been breaking the Sermon on the Mount into little pieces so we can digest it a little by little. But Jesus has just told them about anger you know, not being angry instead of not murdering. He's talking about lust and divorce and oaths. And now he's talking about this, all of this. And they're going, how in the world are we ever going to do that? Now, I hope they also asked another question. Why should I? Because when you know why, it's always easier to understand how. Back a long time ago, I worked for this group called Logos System Associates. They did a ministry for children and youth. And I would go do these three-day workshops. And in the workshop, one of the things that we talked about is this. If you know who you serve and you know why you serve him, the how becomes clear. In fact, I want you to look up on the screen right now. There's a little word there, he? Okay, now magically watch. How. If you know who you serve and why you serve him, how becomes obvious. So who do we serve? Jesus. Who do we serve? Jesus, because Jesus, what? Why? (laughs) Because he's the son of the living God, because he gave everything so we can have everything. He died and rose again and went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit so we can do the things that we're talking about. You know, the Christian life says easy and does hard. I mean, I could sit here and preach all day. I know you wouldn't stay all day, but I literally could because it's so easy to do. There's so much good stuff to share. But then I have to go walk out there where you have to walk out there, to your family, to your school, to your workplace to total strangers. And you have to put this into action. And what Jesus is saying here is, I am not preaching a 27-point sermon so you can go out and think about it. I'm not doing this so that you can reflect on whether this is possible. I'm asking you to be and do everything that I'm telling you you can be and do here. And... As we, as we start to ask the question, how am I going to not retaliate? How am I going to not get angry at somebody? How am I, how am I going to do all of these things? You know, I, I, was just, I just thought of this this morning, and I shared it with the first group. I didn't get to share it with you last night. Could you imagine if Jesus walked down off the, off the mount from the Sermon on the Mount, looked up and said, man, that's going to screw them up for the rest of their lives. Because it's not possible to do any of these things that Jesus talked about unless, here it is, we'll only do these things in the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus knew he was going to die and rise again and send the Holy Spirit. When he said all this stuff, he knew, you try really hard to do this stuff and it's going to make your life miserable. Because we can't do this stuff in our own power. Selfless is not natural to fallen human beings. I said we're going to have to have radical selflessness. That's the take-home point. Well, we're not going to have radical selflessness in fallen human nature. Cain didn't, did he? And you can go everywhere from Cain all the way up to me. And none of us have radical selflessness in and of ourselves. It's a supernatural result of being born again. And now, I just said something, and if you're really astute, you might be thinking, wait a minute, Chris, are you saying that only Christians can do selfless acts? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I know people in history who have acted way more like Jesus than Christians. One who comes to mind is Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi was a Hindu. In fact, Mahatma Gandhi has a lot of sayings, one of which was, if you called me a Christian, I would be offended. But if you said I was like Jesus, I would be honored. You see, He understood what Jesus was talking about. Change, transform lives. And the reality is Mahatma Gandhi and many, many, probably millions and millions of people are doing selfless acts. Why? John Calvin had a good answer. I think it's a really good answer. He said that God has given specific grace, the grace of salvation to some people. And out of that grace, we have the ability to do things that nobody can do. But then his grace is sort of so prevalent. That he had what he called general or common grace. Siri must have thought I was talking to her. I was not. So, when Jesus gives this command to everybody, when we think about what we're doing, how can we do it if we're not a believer? Because of that spillover grace. The general grace. The common grace. And everybody gets that. I mean, you don't have to be a believer. That's why non-believers can act selflessly sometimes. It's why the world isn't as bad as it possibly could be. Because there's general grace. But I don't know about you, but if I'm going to live Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and heck, we're only not even done with chapter 5 yet, it gets harder. If we're going to do that, if we're going to do that, I need the specific grace, the all-in grace that comes from Jesus dying on the cross, rising on the dead, and sending the Holy Spirit. And thankfully, that grace is available to every single person who trust Jesus, Savior, and Lord. And that's why we can live out today's next step, which is I will live Jesus' radical selflessness this week. The first step is always recognizing who Jesus is. Remember who he? Who is Jesus? He, he's the Son of God. Why should I follow him? Well, that's simple enough. He's the Son of God. And he already did all this stuff. He didn't ask us to ever do anything that he didn't already do. And he was fully human as well as fully God. So, so when we know who and when we know why, and then when we submit, this is the hard part, to letting the Holy Spirit lead in our lives, we get changed from the inside out. And we can do the things that we find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and all the rest of the Bible as well. You see, I'm so grateful that when Jesus gave us all those impossible commands, he didn't walk down the hill and say, it's up to you. He walked down the hill, and then he eventually walked up another hill, <laughs> and he mm-hmm. hung on the cross, and then he rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven, and then he sent the Holy Spirit to those who trust him as Savior and Lord. Jesus knew as he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, that was the order of events. Nobody there that day knew that. Probably they all went away scratching their heads and saying, I don't know how to do this, but one day, in a not very distant future from this, everybody who was in the Alive and heard that message would have gone, oh, that's how we do it. It's Jesus. I'm not sure I understand. I understand. They understand. Shut up. I have this stupid thing turned off. Uh, maybe I don't. Let me try it again. Theater mode. I couldn't have timed that any better if I <laughs> timed it. Right? Computers can't understand. That's why you got to watch out for AI. Okay, so that's a sermon for another day. But right now we get to, we get to live a life that nobody can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what if you haven't trusted Jesus as Savior, meaning rescuer from sin and death? What if you don't know Jesus as your Lord? That means master, owner, God. What if? In your daily life, you have to try to do these things in your own power. Good luck. Because nobody can do that. But the good thing is, it's simple to transfer ownership from yourself to Jesus. It's not easy, but it's simple. And here at New Life, we say it's as simple as ABC. A is admit. We admit that Cain got it wrong, but so do we. We admit that we get angry when people get praised and we don't. We get upset whenever somebody slaps us on the cheek, let alone punches us. We get upset over the silliest little things. We admit that we're sinners. We're fallen. And then B, we believe who Jesus is. He is Savior and He is Lord. And we believe that why we ought to even care about that is because He isn't just some God out there who doesn't care, but He came right here to the earth and lived and showed us how to live and then died and rose again and gave us the power to live. And then see, this is a key. We confess him as Lord and Savior. First to God and then to the rest of the people around us in a way that will actually show them. <laughs> because in addition to confessing him as Savior and Lord, we call on the Holy Spirit to change us. It's better if you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord today and don't say anything to anybody and let him start to change you. And then when somebody says, hey Hudson, you're different than you used to be. What's going on there? And you can say, oh, simple, (laughs) Jesus. That is the best testimony ever. You know what? I'm 66 years old. You know how many times that's happened to me? Once. In college, before I was even a pastor, this girl walked up to me one day and she said, man, you live so much different than people around here. You you know, you're you're a good person. (laughs) Not really. It's Jesus. And you know what she said? Oh, I tried to church. And I said, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about Jesus. So if you're ready to talk about Jesus from a standpoint of changing your life from the inside out, you have to make him Lord and Savior, pray with me. I'm gonna pray as if I'm you. And you don't, if the words aren't what's important, Jesus is what's important. So you can say a simple prayer like this, and he is already waiting to hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for coming in the form of your son, Jesus. Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I I get upset and angry about simple little things. And I do want to retaliate. I want to get even, more than even. I believe right now in this moment that you are who you say you are. You are the son of the living God. And I will serve you the rest of my life as Lord and receive your salvation. And God, I confess to you that You are now the owner of my life. And I will live for you in the presence and power of your Holy Spirit for all of my days. And God, for all of us who have prayed a prayer like that at some point, and maybe we've taken a few steps forward and a couple steps back, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our life right now, this moment, every moment, so that we can actually live out these impossible mandates from the Sermon on the Mount. In our everyday lives, everywhere we live, work, learn, and play, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.